With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's February 11, 2018. Happy White Shirt Day. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we are joined by co-hosts David Fillion and Jeff Brown. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. To be sure, each and every member of the leadership team of Working for a Living is committed to returning our union, the UAW, to a labor ethos rather than a company ethos and administer that in the interest of all the rank and file members. Having said that, we certainly had most of you stayed safe and had a good week and enjoyed the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, a longtime friend and supporter of this show, Scott Hulderson, has just suffered the loss of his grandchild. Team Working for a Living's thoughts and prayers go out to his family and friends as they grieve this untimely loss. May we please observe a moment of silence. Thank you. Announcements. Of course, happy White Shirt Day to all union members, especially our UAW members and their families. To remember that team working for a living sports Medicare for everyone. Three, Procter & Gamble announced the closing of its Kansas City, Kansas plant, affecting 280 employees by 2020. Four, General Motors achieved a record operating profit for the fourth quarter while posting a $4.9 billion loss due to tax reform. And I thought all the business businesses were supposed to prosper under this tax cut leg- legislation. Number five, Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner, Rauner, I guess, said Monday that Illinois must curb government union powers and reduce spending on the state employees' salaries and benefits, stepping up what labor leaders say is an attempt to vilify workers ahead of the Republicans' first major policy speech. Number six, Title 29 U.S.C. 481G is a federal law that prohibits using dues dollars to promote a union candidate. Should you be approached by anyone being paid or otherwise using dues dollars to promote any candidate, please email Working for a Living at Working for a Living with the date, time, place, and the name of the person who contacted you, along with the nature of what you were told. Thank you. By the way, the reports have been flowing in. And lastly, MSU beat Purdue 68-65. 
take a point of personal privilege here and tell you a little story that may seem a little unrelated, but I think you'll see how it relates later in the show. Many of you may not know that one of my best friends played basketball at Michigan State University, and he's a national champion player. He played on the 78-79 team with Magic Johnson and is a national NCAA uh, basketball national champion ring holder. Uh, in particular, this year, he goes to almost every home game, and he gets a couple tickets. Sometimes I get invited, and we've been all over the country in basketball and other things together. Uh, but most of the time, I turn him down because I'm really pretty busy with a lot of this stuff. But last night, he was at the game. And uh, today, when I saw him at noon, he told me a story about the game, and I'm going to relate that to you. Uh, at the end of the game, they were tied, and they had uh, a break in the game, and he sits right behind the team. And they all know who he is, national champion, sitting there, hovering over him, watching every moment and every minute and every move that they make, and they all know it. Well, they had their huddle, they called their play, and Miles Bridges looked up to him and gave him a nod and a little click of his neck there. I got this, as if to say. And my friend thought, okay. Well, as we all know, they went out on the floor, the rest of the team cleared left, Miles left one-on-one, took two steps to the right, squared up, and fired buzzer beater, three-pointer, and win the game. He got that. He did it, just like he told my friend with a nod of his head. There was a lot of fanfare, and everybody was, you know, exuberant and celebrating this great victory. And the, the whole country is talking about it. It's quite a, quite a show to put on. He told my friend he got that, and he delivered. That's an interesting story. I think you'll see how that fits later on in the show. Uh, so uh, on to email and messages. Okay, we had uh, one uh, great encore show, something we don't hear from the mainstream media. That's from Kentucky. Uh, We again had numerous emails regarding the use of dues dollars to promote union candidates. A lot of those came in. Uh, Folks need to watch what you're doing if you're out there supporting people that are using dues dollars. Just just a word of caution because you will get in trouble for that. We're not going to take this election lightly and uh, we appreciate everybody's support in that and all of their notifications. Okay, regarding our platform plank number three, this message came in as a comment. Uh, Informative article, article, just what I wanted to find. That's from an undisclosed location. Uh, Number four, um, this is a pretty angry person here. We need to be in on any profit sharing, Christmas bonuses, and getting our families into work. Thank you from a retiree from an undisclosed state. Okay. Um, another retiree is writing in, I'm retired. The retirees get nothing extra. If it wasn't for the retirees, we're, where would 
these jobs be. Most of us get a local union newspaper. Surely that would reach the majority of the membership. I've had my butt in the sling for uh, most of my 35 years uh, of active membership because of fighting for one member, one vote. They tend to get upset when anyone starts to rock the boat, and that's from Tennessee. Thank you, all of the email writers. We appreciate that. Up next is our quote, this week's quote. Uh, it's actually from two weeks ago as well. We're going to repeat this one. It's kind of telling uh, in this uh, environment that we have. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's from, from Sir John Dahlberg Action, Acton, A-C-T-O-N. Uh, yeah, he's a English gentleman. So, um, Let's bring on our co-host, Jeff Brown and David Fillion. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good, Leroy. It's a little tired, but I'm all right. How yeah, are you? It's been an interesting week. We, you, you had kind of what we had up here, didn't you? Yeah, we got a good foot of snow here. Um, it's too much for me. Yeah, yeah. Right at 20 inches here, and uh, that's a lot of snow. They're looking for places to put it now. Uh, yeah. Plows didn't really plows didn't get it out there and get it off the road until about two. So it was uh, nobody was moving around here. It was pretty pretty slow going if you did get out. So, David, how you doing? Hello, David. Lost him. He's on. Well, uh, having said that, we'll catch up with him in a minute. Uh, uh, De- uh, Jeff, do you want to go ahead on uh, your next series of the Constitution on Article 10? Yeah, it's, it's pretty long. We'll try to pick up most of it tonight. Not all of it, but most of it. Article 10 is about officers and elections, international positions. Section 1, elective officers of the International Union shall be one international president, one international secretary-treasurer, three international vice presidents who shall be selected by the convention and as such, international executive board members as provided in Section 21 of this article. In the event of a death or removal or resignation of any of the three vice presidents at any time after July 1, 2014, the international executive board shall have the authority to reduce the number of vice presidents from three to two. The duties of the vice presidents shall be assigned by the international president. Uh, Section 2. Then the geographical districts as determined by the international constitution, the international executive board members shall be nominated and elected by the regions as established by the international executive board and existing on the actual day any such election commences. Only delegates from the local unions in such regions 
shall nominate and vote for their international board of directors, board members. Any member in continuous good standing for one year and who has worked at least 90 working days in a workplace located within the region, whose local union is located within the region, can be nominated and elected. It shall require a two-thirds vote of the International Executive Board to change any composition of any region within a geographical district. Section 3. Term of office of all elected officials, officers, shall be for the period up to the next convention and the term of office shall begin immediately on installation. Term of the office of the trustees shall be provided for in Article 51. Section 4. Nomination and election of all elected officers and trustees shall take place in the regular order of business of the convention, and the election shall be determined by a majority vote of the delegates voting. Candidates shall be elected to the various officers by one, a roll call vote, the election of the vice presidents. Each delegate may vote up to five candidates. If there are 10 or more nominees for five office, offices and less than five candidates to receive a majority vote, the candidate receiving the lowest number of votes shall be eliminated from the runoff election. To each success, successful runoff election, the candidate receiving the lowest number of votes shall be eliminated unless there, such elimination will be, would result and reducing the number of candidates and nominations to figure equals to the remaining vacancy or vacancies. Section 5. All elections of the international officers and the international executive board members shall be by roll call vote. In any election of international president, international secretary treasurer, International Executive Board Member or, or International Trustee, there are three or more candidates on the first ballot. No, no such candidate receives a majority. There shall be a runoff between the two candidates who receive the highest number of votes on the first ballot. Article Section 6. No member shall be nominated or elected as elected officer of the International Union as set forth in Section 1 in this article has not been in continuous good standing for a period of one year preceding the date of nomination. Section 7. No member of any local union shall hold any elected or appointed position in his, his this international unions or any other local Union in this international union, if he she is a member of a subservient to any political organizations, such as the communist, fascist, or Nazi organizations, which owns its alliance to any government other than the United States or Canada, directly or indirectly. 
Section 8, no member of any local union shall be eligible to hold any elective appointed position in the international union or any local union if he or she is firmly engaged in the promotion and implementation programs uh, or support of organized workplace rackets such as numbers, bookkeeping, etc. Section 9, the acceptance of the elective or appointed office or position of the nomination to elective office or position by any member who is ineligible under Section 7 or 8 of this article is an offense to the union punishable by a penalty up to and including expulsion. Section 10. When a charge is preferred that a member is violating Section 9 of this article, that should be made and the accused member shall be tried accordingly to the appropriate provisions of Article 30 and 31. Resignation from elective office or appointed position or withdrawal from candidacy from any member charged with any violation of Section 9 should not Required the dismissal of such charges. Section 11. Conviction of a member by trial committee of a local union or by international union trade, international union trial committee of violation of Section 9 of this article, any elective or appointed office or position then held by such member shall be automatically vacated regardless of any other penalty imposed. Section 12, this was a pretty long one. No member of any local union shall be eligible to hold or seek an elective or appointed position in the international union or in any local union if he or she firmly engaged in the promotion implementation, furtherance, or support of any other union and collective bargaining group with purpose of attending to subplanning the international union or any subordinate body thereof as a recognized collective bargaining agents in efforts to decertify the international union or any subordinate body thereof as a recognized collective bargaining agent or aiding or abetting the employer or another union to dwarf organizing efforts by the UAW to become the bargaining agent. If on investigation by the International Union, it should be it should appear by convincing evidence that a member is in violation of this section. The international president or the international executive board may summarily suspend that member from any office or position or the right to seek such office or position. Said suspended member shall be promptly notified and within 30 days of such notification may appeal this, this suspension in which the case the member's appeal shall be processed in the same manner as it appeals to the International Executive Board from 
on decisions of subordinate bodies under Article 33 of this Constitution, providing that the suspension shall be automatically lifted unless, unless the International Executive Board has rendered its decision within 120 days of the day the appealing member commences the appeal. I'm going to go one more here. If the suspended member fails to appeal in the suspension within 30 days allowed, or if the International Executive Board on review upholds the suspension by two-thirds vote, the member shall be considered removed from any office or position that he or she may have held, as well as the privilege of seeking election or appointment of any office or position, and the member shall not thereafter be eligible to hold any office or position unless and until the removal has been lifted by two-thirds vote of the International Executive Board. Any member so suspended who has taken an appeal to the International Executive Board have, without having the suspension lifted may appeal the suspension either to the Public Review Board or the Convention Appeals Committee as provided for, for in Article 33 of this Constitution. The process provided in this section shall be in addition to and exclusive of any other action which may be taken against such member. Um, that's the first 12, and there is a total of 20 sections. Um, if David's on the phone, um, he's more than yeah. welcome to take over. Um, David, good job, there? Jeff. Yep, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Okay. Good yeah. job, Jeff. Go away, brother. We under. All right. Um, we're finishing up um, a five-part series tonight um, that uh, dealt with the uh, Warren Memo. I'm going to go over some points before we start the final section of uh, the Warren Memo tonight. Um, in 1983, was drafted a document by Alfred Warren. Um, Alfred Warren was the uh, Vice President of Industrial Relations to General Motors. Um, the intent of the memo was to influence the UAW in bargaining for the 1984 negotiations. Also tonight, we will talk, um, there will be some discussion about um, Donald Eflin. At the time, Donald Eflin was um, Vice President of the UAW GM Bargaining Department. Um, it is said that um, Donald Eflin was the first to take the Kool-Aid back to Solidarity House. Um, it was also said that those who refused to drink um, soon found themselves standing on the outside looking in. I could name some of their names, but I won't go into that tonight. Um, to achieve labor costs per hour, GM intends to eliminate the UAW's cost of living allowances, COLA, and annual improvement factor, AIF. 
GM also wants to reduce the annual rate of increase in benefit costs. High on their list will be pensions and health care expenditures. In return for giving up COLA and AIF and full payment, GM proposes to extend its profit sharing program. Since 1982, each UAW member gave $5,500 in concessions, deferred wages in COLA, and lost, lost paid personal holidays and bonus holidays, while they averaged only 640 in profit sharing in 83. To reduce man hours per car, GM plans to continue its assault on, work on local work practices. The Warren document suggests that plant management and supervisors actively support local changes to work practices, seniority work practices, and seniority bumping procedures that increase productivity. In a similar vein, the document specifically states that craft barriers should be torn down to provide for an effective utilization of the skilled trades workforce. The third objective of the GM plan concerns outsourcing. Over the last decade, the production of automobile components and subassembly operations has been shifted to both domestic and foreign producers, where there are low wages and poor working conditions. The result of these shifts has been permanent layoffs for American workers. According to the internal document, GM will attempt to retain the current procedures regarding outsourcing decisions and pursue fair implementation by management and avoid infringement of management's rights to affect internal sourcing decisions. Furthermore, GM will attempt to facilitate a competitive approach to subcontracting. That is, it will continue to subcontract as much work as possible to outside facilities so that workers at these facilities will be forced to compete against each other and be disciplined by the marketplace. At the same time, GM intends to decrease compensation decimate local agreements, continue outsourcing and subcontracting. The company wants auto workers to participate in joint problem solving. To achieve this objective, Warren suggests the following strategies. Increase the jointness of quality work programs, strengthen the national and local joint councils for job security and competitive edge, and initiate joint problem-solving activities at the international and local levels. We'll begin now with um, the last part. Um, it's a little bit long, but we'll get there. GM's final objective is to enhance individual accountability and commitment. Here, the strategies center on training individual workers in order to maximize individual efficiency. The internal document suggests shifting the focus of training programs to upgrade the skills of the active workforce, obtaining union support for the statistical process control by hourly employees and supporting pay for knowledge systems. 
the purpose is to bring training in line with company needs. In the past, there has been a tendency for GM to fragment, rationalize, and mechanize work in both an absolute and relative sense so that workers can be easily and cheaply substituted in the production process. Since GM intends to upgrade its technology and manufacturing process, the present workforce will need new skills, at least until new processes themselves can be rationalized, fragmented, and mechanized. Public relations campaigns. GM is fully aware that it must overcome a number of contradictions if it is to achieve its bargaining objectives. According to the internal document, these include an improving economy, higher sales and earnings, executive bonuses, real and imagined threats to job security, and other event-driven and date-driven events. The latter category is defined as plant closings, whipsawing between plants to get lower labor costs, the announcement of joint ventures, outsourcing, and stockholders' dividend. For example, it is already known that GM made record profits of $3.7 billion in 83, and that its estimated profit for 1984 is $5.3 billion. GM's top 55 executives have received more than $29 million in salaries, bonuses, and stock, with GM's chairman, Roger Smith, earning $1.5 million in 83. Furthermore, GM will be boosting its foreign sourcing of small cars to include 300,000 units from Isuzu and Suzuki in Japan and another 100,000 units from South Korea. To overcome these problems, Mr. Warren suggests the following actions be taken at the corporate level. First, and of primary importance, will be the need to influence the UAW leadership. From the document, it becomes clear that efforts will concentrate on UAW Vice President Donald Eflin. Mr. Eflin will personally be briefed in a one-on-one meeting with Mr. Warren and other key management officials. In addition, as a sign of cooperation, Mr. Eflin is to accompany Mr. Warren and GM President James McDonald on a tour of the plants where innovative solutions have been devised. Lastly, time and information will be provided for Mr. Eflin to educate secondary leadership and regional sub-councils to such issues as profit sharing. GM also intends to meet regularly with the National Bargaining Committee and regional and local UAW leaders to develop a common information base and to focus on business needs as a reference point for future bargaining. Furthermore, GM would like to develop a joint task force appointed by Mr. Warren and Mr. Eflin that would review the formal bargaining process and recommend changes to facilitate the achievement of mutual objectives. The underlying purpose of these various meetings will be to obtain the UAW leadership support of business objectives 
this is important when it's remembered that the UAW leadership must sell any new contract to a very skeptical rank and file. At the same time, there is serious doubt that GM will supply any substantive information to assess GM's present and future economic condition. For example, will GM supply information on its five-year business plan, company finances, investment, and outsourcing plans, and future plant closings? If history is any indication, when the union asks for this rudimentary information, any illusions about GM's commitment to joint problem-solving and cooperation will quickly fade. Fortunately for the UAW, the internal document suggests that GM really has in mind, as part of a slide entitled Significant Areas of Improvement Targeted for 1984, local negotiations in the five-year business plan. The following items are mentioned. The elimination of all language restricting management's right to job assignment within a classification. Standardized shift preference language to eliminate individual job selection and bumping changes and time limits in regards to layoffs. The elimination of wallman rules in terms of overtime, equalization of overtime opportunities, changes in recall rates, and removal from references, procedures, and agreements to relief practices. Ultimately, these changes will permit management to recognize the, workflow, the, the workplace, increase the pace of production, and reduce manpower. They will also lead to return of the reward system and workplace for 40 years ago. To a great degree, GM's success in achieving these changes in work roles will be directly related to its ability to co-opt UAW leadership at all levels to help in their efforts. Not only must GM convince at all levels to help in their efforts, not only in their efforts imperatives, but they must also convince the rank and file. This will not be an easy task given the extent of the 82 concessions package and significant improvements in GM's economic position. It should be remembered that in that the 1982 agreement was narrowly ratified by 52% to 48% with resistance heaviest in assembly plants like Lordstown, Ohio, Linden, New Jersey. Already there are signs that such progressive groups as locals opposed to the concessions will be better organized this year. Communications networks independent of UAW headquarters are already being organized under the slogan, Enough is Enough, Restore and More, in 84. To offset militancy and resistance during the 1984 negotiations, GM has organized a sophisticated image management campaign. This integrated communication approach will be used to minimize adverse reaction to a number of critical issues, 
dampen bargaining demands and foster union management cooperation efforts instead of conflict. Imagine management will use both mass media and face-to-face communications to focus on local concerns and issues. First-line supervision and local GM management will be primary actors. Their roles will be to convince the employees that GM is concerned for their job security and to gauge resistance among the rank and file. Other ideas being considered under the umbrella of image management include the development of new internal and external communications programs. The corporate internal communications program will be developed by the public relations staff to coordinate internal communications on relevant themes. A separate internal communications program, the first line supervisors communications program is also being developed to provide monthly briefings and inform material concerning corporate bargaining issues for shop floor supervision. The external communications program will also be developed by the public relations staff to increase the public's and media's understanding of the competitive challenge and other issues relative to negotiations. This massive communications network will be activated to pressure GM employees into accepting whatever GM has to offer. As occurred in prior to the 1982 negotiations, the UAW and its members can expect to simultaneously portrayed as lazy, selfish, and overpaid in the public media while being badgered by internal media blitz within the plants. Conclusion The disclosure of the GM document has infuriated many UAW members. Their anger seems focused on the direction implicit in the GM public relations program and the abuse of the social values of trust, cooperation, communication, and problem solving. GM has done precisely what Mr. Warren had hoped to avoid. It has shot itself in the foot on the eve of the most important negotiations of the 80s. GM has seriously undermined the trust of its employees to such a degree that no amount of damage control can overcome it. GM has also seriously compromised the UAW's chief negotiator, Donald Eflin, and consequently reduced his flexibility to shape an equitable agreement. The wide circulation of the GM document has already led to the expansion of the locals opposed to concessions consortium that was primarily responsible for nearly upsetting the 82 concessions agreement. Altogether, it appears a strike is distinctly possible. Were a strike to occur, it could have disastrous impact on an already brittle economy. For this threat, the nation only has General Motors to blame. And that concludes um, the five-part series on the Warren Memo. Um, After going through all of this, I think everybody listening can see where we are today in place and time, and that many of these objectives have already been carried out 
and, and perpetrated on our membership and far surpassed um, what Donald Eastland and uh, Alfred Warren um, came together to discuss. Um, we're far past that now. So with that said, I'll hand off back to Leroy. Okay, thank you, David. Uh, that is a poignant report that outlines a plan by management to take on our union at every turn and make sure that they had the upper hand. And you've seen almost everything that they planned in 1983 has now come to be. It's it's here. We're fighting amongst each other. We're fighting against each other's union. They've even implemented methods to achieve and uh, get new work in the General Motors uh, arena. They call it BIQ, built-in quality. And you have to have a certain number in order to attract new work. These are all divisive things. We truly are fighting between ourselves with tears in the plant and against each other between the, the unions ourselves. So this is uh, it's really sad to see this happen, especially in the last oh, 15 years or so. It's really, really sad. Uh, thank you for that report. Jeff, do you have anything to add to David's report at all? No, it's pretty fair and simple. It is has been happening and it will continue to happen unless something major happens to change it. And that's our goal. Change that. Okay. All right. We we've got a lot that's our goal for sure. And uh we've got a lot of work to do in order to get that done. This is not gonna be easy at all. Um David, do you have anything else to add? No, Larry. Okay. I'll start my report. And it's I got a lot of things to cover here tonight, so please bear with me. We likely will go long. Uh, I want to talk about leadership, first of all. Anyone who's ever been in leadership will tell you that it is a serious and solemn matter as you have the lives of not only every person you represent, every union member, or if you are in leadership outside of our union, in the community of your entire community, with every decision that you make. Not only members, but their spouses, kids, siblings, parents, and even some friends' lives are at stake with every decision you make. It is not to be taken lightly, as it is most serious, and is not something that should be subject to schoolyard antics. Every decision that you make will have a positive and a negative effect on part 
membership or community that you represent. Results for which you must be prepared to accept or adjust if need be. Leadership is void of fanfare, as was indicated at the game yesterday with Miles Bridges, buzzer beater. There are no cheering crowds when you do it right. And it's often thankless. Let me give you a few examples that I'm in 1983, a while ago, admittedly. There were some 145 people passed over from our Flint facility, Chevrolet Flint Manufacturing. There's not a brick left of the place where the union began, by the way. There's not one brick left. They have killed the root, and they're trying to kill the plant. Get all our green leaves off of our tree. But I wrote a letter, uh, an article, into the, the Flint Journal, and I challenged seniority. Uh, that letter uh, is available. I'll, I'll put it on the
called into the regional director's office. And he asked me what I want, and moreover, what the people want with regard to the seniority. They realized that a lot of people were going to start to move into corporations, not just inside of General Motors where we had a big presence in Flint, but in Ford and Chrysler as well. And I told them, you know, we'd like to get full seniority after a year, at least. Well, that didn't happen. But they did in about 15 months later, after they noodled it around. They did some real nice things that were real controversial, but they did it anyhow. And today, uh, you find that you enjoyed a benefit that came from this letter yet today. You see, in the 84 agreement, about 15 months later, they put a little clause in there, a little paragraph that said, if you have greater seniority than 1785, January 7, 1985, you will have your OGM date at your new plan. You'll always keep your overall General Motors seniority. And that worked for Ford and Chrysler as well, went into all, all three contracts. So from that letter, everybody with less than January 7, 1985, most of the workforce today, enjoys if your plant closes or you're laid off and picked up somewhere else, you enjoy the benefit of having corporate seniority. You take your full service time with you. That is one of the results of the letter that I wrote back in 1983. And again, there's no applause, there's no fanfare, and mostly thankless. Next thing that example I want to give you is, and that was internal. That was, you know, things that we did, I did, we collectively, those that actually made it happen, but I had a, a little bit of influence with that. Next thing was, I was recording secretary. And by the way, I was elected cap chair of my local. They trusted me enough to re-elect me cap chair of my local. And they trusted me enough to re-elect me as cap chair of our local. I was fortunate enough to be elected recording secretary and trusted enough to be re-elected recording secretary and trusted yet again to be re-elected -re recording secretary in my local. Later trusted enough to be appointed temporary staff cap coordinator for Region 1C, now 1D, and I had responsibilities for 11 counties. Getting back to my second example, which is related to what I just told you, I was recording secretary, and a fellow came in the office one day while I was there, so I didn't work full-time, small little, and he said, Leroy, I'm having a problem. I've been divorced and have one son, and I work afternoons, and I, I can't make it to pick him up on Friday evening like everybody else does. And... I'd like to see my son, but they're not letting me see him because I can't pick him up on Friday. Looked at him, gave him that nod, and I said, 
think I can help you. I got this. So I wrote a letter, and because my on union letter, because of my station in our union and my reputation in the community, I wrote a letter to a friend of the court, and that friend of the court saw to it that that brother, who couldn't see his child, they made special accommodations so he could pick his son up on Saturday morning and take him back on Sunday night. He had to give up a little time, but he got to see him every other weekend like he was supposed to. A few weeks later, he out golfing one, one weekend with his son. We had a little league going on. and uh, He brought his son with him. And he drove the cart over so I could in, be introduced. This is my son. Thanks for doing what you did so I can see him. A couple of years ago, some 30 years later, maybe, I don't know, 20 years later, anyhow, I was eating dinner with a lady friend of mine and a man and a younger man walked up to me and I recognized who it was. Stood up and shook his hand. How you doing? He says, uh, good. Then he introduced me to a younger man, his son, and said, this is the man that wrote the letter so that you could see me on week every other weekend. And he thanked me for helping him to see his dad. Again, no fanfare, no applause, but I did get a thank you. Kind of thank you, you don't forget. On the next example, and this will be my last example before we get into what you're all waiting to hear. I, uh, I have a lot of examples, by the way. I'll give you a few here. I was involved in the VIVA, and because of that, I got asked to speak a lot around the Midwest. On November 17, 2007, I spoke in Peoria, Illinois. I was a keynote speaker. I was fortunate enough to be asked to do that. I was delivered a nice message for him. Also there were members from Con Selmer Local Union, where they built horns. You may be familiar with the horns Con Selmer. And they do that or did that in Elkhart, Indiana. And they were on strike, and nobody was helping them. They were there to beg us to give them help. And we all took a collection and gave them a little money. And they came over to me and said, what, are you gonna, what can you do for us? I looked at them, gave them that little nod, and I said, I got this. Let's go out and talk to the press. Because it was a closed meeting. Nobody was allowed in. We went out into the, the foyer there, quite a large one, and I gave an interview to the press. And I vilified the regional director for not helping brothers and sisters on strike during the holiday season. The next day, it made the front page of the Elkhart News and the Peoria News. And that regional director was shamed 
into helping had to be he had to be shamed into helping our brothers and sisters. A lot of the Midwest then got notified and bundles of food and clothing money went from places like Lansing and Flint, Indianapolis and all around to the Con Selmer, the only strike in the Midwest at the time. They had a wonderful holiday. Again, no fanfare, no applause. Quite frankly, I never saw those members ever again. They later felt the pain of having their charter pulled by an international union who would not stand the heat from that corporation. There are people on the pages, prowling our pages, who have suffered that pain of having their charter pulled. I won't say his name. Freightliner 5, president, is regularly on the pages now. Very bitter man. And there are also trolls on our pages who purposely cause the pain by pulling the charter from local unions that deserve the support of our good UAW. We shall not abandon such local unions when we promise them the hope of being supported by a union. We cannot pull the rug out from under them. It is the only thing in many cases this stands between them and certain discharge because of state laws that do not even have to give you a reason to fire you. Those are three examples. I've uh, helped since my retirement three members get back from discharge. One was a, actually an MEA member, a teacher. And I was called into their meeting with this teacher's a woman, with her, and she's a friend of mine. She got back to work with $62,000 back pay. And because of my work with their attorney and some legislators and the administrative law judge, the law that caused her discharge was changed, so it will never, ever happen to another teacher in the state of Michigan ever again. I've helped many union members obtain large money judgment uh, awards from against their corporations, not just the Detroit Three, but some others, including some of the building trades. Again, no fanfare and largely thankless. But you can be assured somebody in the future will come along and say, you've done nothing for the membership. 
would beg to differ. I want to somewhat say that they don't want to be involved in the political side of unionism. Let me just go over a little thing that I've done in the past few years. I realized that my own township had some people on the board that were uh, party elite, ruling party class, if you will, and they really didn't care to hoots about anybody from labor. I worked with members of the board. I was asked to be chair uh, and, I'm sorry, treasurer of the Political Action Committee to help remove and replace those members who were not friendly to labor. I accepted that I remain treasurer of that Political Action Committee. Once we removed those anti-union members and put friendly union members in, the first order of business was to work to get legislation through by and through ordinances passed and approved by the, the community that protected the pensions of the police and fire whose pensions were dearly underfunded. And that funding was set in place and their pensions are now safe and secure due to some very good politicians prompted by yours truly. So you see, politics is required from your leader. Whoever that leader is, and it's not just one. Here in Team Working for a Living, we have a full complement of other leaders that are highly educated, very capable, experienced people. It is not about one person. Which brings me to the state of our union. First of all, we, each and every one of us, are the union. And we determine our fate. Us. Sure, Leaders can offer leadership, but it is an incumbent on each member to help our unions become strong. Our UAW structure has changed. It's no longer the Detroit Three and everybody else. The structure is the Detroit Three's 34%. Independent parts suppliers, and you're hearing a lot of about them right now because they're pretty mad at not getting profit sharing because they support the Detroit Three. They represent 39% of our union currently. And they'd like to get in to the Detroit Three, be re-sourced, insourced into the Detroit Three. More on that later. 27% of our union is called TOPS, technical office and professional services. So you see it is about one-third, one-third, and one-third, roughly. And 
taken for a living, and I'll weave this in from time to time. I want to start with reform of the leadership structure to be more reflective of the members that we represent in the vice president assignments. And we're cognizant of and very well aware that women and ethnic minorities have been underrepresented for far, far too long under the current ruling caucus, and you will see many changes along those lines. Regarding our financials of our union, the Strikes and Defense Fund is reported in January in the Solidarity Magazine. For the end of 2016, they always report a year late, is $790 million. We don't know what it is currently, but because the members working in every facility that we represent got an increase in their dues the last in 2014, and that made the fund grow uh, because it was sorely uh, in, in bad shape. We were in the 500s, so it's up to 790 now, which is good. Now that's being threatened because our union's been sued, and others have threatened to sue also. I remind you that many local unions rely on the rebates to their local union in order to run. All the unions get a rebate, but the smaller ones, which is about 40% of our membership, rely on those rebates. At 790, if one of the suits is 100 million out of there, it takes us to 690. If another one goes to 590, and then the third one might go to 490. Under 500 million dollars, the rebates end and the small local unions will be at risk. Some will be able to amalgamate if they're close, but in the case of the parts plants, many are very remote, not close at all to another local union, and they would simply bankrupt, be unable to function with no money. They would de facto lose their charter. We must guard against such things. If we lost 35% of our membership from small local unions, make it high wages. That would be devastating, devastating to our union. It may not continue to exist. It was reported to me that one servicing rep last summer said that very thing. Our union's viability is at risk. Frustration levels are very high in our union, largely due to the leadership being investigated by the FBI and 
We see plea agreements coming almost weekly now, every couple of weeks. The Icabelli plea and the Monica Morgan plea. These are things that are very disturbing to our membership, and they should be. The IPS departments is unhappy with the Detroit Three right now because they profit sharings that they didn't share in. And they make about $21 an hour. I stay on on top of all of that because I make it my business to do just that and hear it firsthand. They're okay with that for some reason. And that's one of our challenges is to educate people that half-wage jobs aren't supposed to be. But their justification, if you want to call it that, is we get triple time for Sunday. Some of the locals, they get triple time. And that's roughly $63 an hour. It's kind of close to double time in a Detroit 3 plant. And that's how they justify it. But overtime's not a guarantee. And we're seeing a stock market melt right before our eyes. And we just saw a company making a whole lot of money that reported almost a $5 billion loss. In the end, we have failed leadership at the international and some at the local union level. That's very frustrating to our members. And it needs to change. Some of our contracts contain, and I say some because the Detroit 3 is only one-third now, right? They, They contain tiered wages unacceptable pension language that if funding falls below 80%, pensions get cut in half. That's been placed in our contract. While it is federal law, placing it in our contract makes it absolutely automatic without appeal to the government. That needs to be removed. We have alternative work schedules that cause straight time on weekends. People work weekends for straight time. Can you imagine? Unions that brought you the weekend now have people working for straight time on the weekend. Some would say failed leadership. There's no more overtime for after eight hours. You have to work 40. Profit sharing is only for some and none for the IPS part suppliers. The language regarding temporary numbers allows for extraordinary abuse. And there's actually competitiveness language in our agreement that require the president and the chairman, chairperson, to work with management to make the plant more efficiency, more efficient rather. And in in the 
can get a higher BIQ number, so they might attract new work if new work is available. Because of these and many other things in the plant, for example, in one case, the shop committee administers equalization of hours. Shop committee administers ship preferences and changes between jobs. Those are all management jobs. And when done by us, they circumvent federal law, such as EEOC, so that discrimination can occur without challenge. Because of this and many other things, many members suffer from what's called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness is they've learned that they're helpless to change things. Helpless to change it so they have to accept it. Team working for a living has offered hope. for nearly three years, and this show has been going on nearly two years. Another thing that some of the membership suffers from is what's called corporate Stockholm Syndrome, whereby you begin to love your captor. The person that does those evil things to you is somehow justified by this syndrome and you accept it and go out and work even harder to try and please them. I should point out now that some temporaries are actually being fired for getting hurt on the job. And some members who have addressed corruption at the local level only to have their own good standing in their union taken from because they addressed the corruption in their union. People holding office that were barred from holding office. These are all things that are in our union. Aristotle said, a problem defined is a problem half solved. So we've defined our problem, and that's the state we're in. And it's not a good one, brothers and sisters. And now you want to hear what can be done. You know, I'm known for being pretty wily, getting things done. There's a few people in town that invite me to things when I get there, they simply say, you make things happen. And yes, I do. I make things happen. And when surrounded with a team of really good people, we can make some great things happen. Make no mistake about that. And we've been talking on, about it on this show for some time. And we've gone into detail about some of the things I'm going to summarize here for you now. And... 
forgive me if I don't give you the actual method, but it has been openly discussed in previous shows. I can tell you that, so I'm not talking without my, you know, outside my head. Um, first of all, we need to remove and replace the current 70-year, 10-year ruling caucus. Even Walter Ruther said there will come a day, he said this, there will come a day when too many yes people get promoted and they will no longer be effective because they won't know what to do when they get there. I might have misquoted him verbatim, but it's essentially what he said. You know something, little known fact about Walter Ruth, before he went over to Russia and Germany, came back to lead our union, the longest serving, most notable, revered president of our union, Walter Ruther was a skilled trade supervisor for six years. Yeah, that dropped some jaws now, didn't it? You know, I, I spent a lot of time at the regional office with all the, the service and reps who were responsible for writing contracts and verifying that they were good and going over and reading them word by word, make, parsing them to make sure that they were right. And one of the things that one of them told me once is, you know, we always guard against creating a second class within a class can't create a second class. In other words, a person working online can't make less than another person working online that has seniority. Brothers and sisters, tears are illegal under the Constitution of the United States. You may not create second class within a class. This is simply something that we can do as a union, contact our general counsel and tell him or her, happens to be a him now, that we want to pursue this as being illegal. Because there is a clause in every contract that requires we uphold to superintending law of the land, whether local, state, or federal. And we will hold them to that. Tears go away because of that. And I'm being reminded here. check my tires. <laughs> I'm not worried about my tires. Smith & Wesson covers them. Good insurance. Um, 
Cheers are illegal. And we will address that in a proper way and stop all of this two-tier stuff. I went through it here a while ago. There's six tiers in our unions now in the Detroit Three. Everybody says there's only so much pie out there. Let me tell you about another thing that we've discussed. It's called dead peasants insurance. That's where corporations buy insurance on their retirees. And um, <laughs> a little distracting. Everybody's worried about my tires. Uh, and as they do that, they get that money back when that retiree passes into their own pension funds. And it's a lot of money. You may note on our .com front homepage a video from May Day of last year. I was invited to be the inaugural speaker speaker at the uh, Michigan Capitol Steps for an annual event. And I closed that. There were a number of speakers, but I was a closer, I guess is better, better said. In that, I outed CEO of Ford having an $858 million pension. He only made $22.1 million, $22 million a year. So um, we have it in our ability to stop that and the purchase of dead peasants insurance by the corporations. Now, I'm not going to tell you how we do that because I'm about done telling everybody else that's going to try and kick our butt how to do things. But it is a simple task, once elected, that we end that. And what does that mean to us as members? It means that billions of dollars that have been diverted into this insurance uh, fiasco scam gets re-diverted back tax-free into their pension fund or the, the executive suite of the companies. When that ends, those billions of dollars flow down to the bottom line profit. And the stakeholders or the government starts getting their share of the tax that they hadn't been They'd be happy to see us do this. They'll, have, they'll work with us. And by the way, we're not going to do it until we tell everybody that we can make them money. The other stakeholders are the stock and bond holders and the communities in which these corporations work. Okay, But we're not going to address dead peasants insurance until such time as we get buy-in from all the other stakeholders to work with us to repatriate jobs from overseas and to insource jobs from the parts suppliers into our um, master umbrella agreement. You see, we can't do all of this on our own because our members are, numbers are lower than they've ever been. 
but they'll start to see the value of unions once we sit down and talk with them. And that's what it's all about, sitting down and talk with them. We're not going to threaten to beat up anybody. We're going to be effective in running our union and getting people to like us again. So you see, that makes an economic case to insource and repatriate our jobs. We can make the same economic case. Shout out to the brother from Chicago Ford Assembly who asked this question. How are we going to stop alternative work schedules where we work on the weekend straight time? Many of you folk work in alternative work schedules are still working overtime, aren't you? And even if you aren't, we're going to talk to our pals, the other stakeholders, and put pressure on the corporations to end all of the atrocities that are being done in the name of profit. In one of the previous shows, I said we will bring corporations to their knees, knees begging us to stop because that's who we, team working for a living, are. We will not stop until all of these injustices are reversed. We will look and seek to reverse the contracts that are tainted in all three cases of the Detroit Three from corruption. Another thing that we will work with politicians that has caused this outsourcing and outflow, to quote Ross Perot, huge sucking sound of our jobs to other countries, is the global tax imbalances on all our products that are being bought here and overseas. There is a huge 32% disadvantage that we have because of those tax imbalances. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with them. Okay. We'll work with the government officials to fix that. You can learn more about that on last week's show, the Encore show from last week. So you see, there's things that we can do. Okay, We can't do it on our own. Some of the things that we're going to be addressing, you know, a lot of what I just talked about are just policy changes and some certain things that we can do with government or just a simple thing as, you know, the dead peasants insurance, also known as corporate, corporate insurance. 
but there's some things that are contractual that we're going to have to meet them at the bargaining table about. Truth pathway to seniority, truth pathway to full pay, removal of competitive language, Appendix K in, in the case of General Motors, and J, I think, in Ford. By the way, shout out to, uh, you know, during the, the contracts uh, in 2015, uh, Jeff and I were on another show, and uh, one of the brothers there and I and Jeff broke down all of the contract language in every one of the agreements. I want to shout out to Scott Shingledecker, who was very, very uh, insightful and instrumental in breaking those down for all the members to listen to, and we recommended a no vote for every one of them by the way. So we're well aware of what's in the contracts and what's not good for us. We may need your help at the bargaining table. And there's people, the fact is, the one brother who's lost his grandson, sadly, constantly posts, you know, save for a strike. You know, because these things back, it may come to that. We don't know. We're not going to, you know, go into it with that. Believe me, we will get this done. I'll tell you this. Our.com, working for a living.com, has visitors to it that we can identify their uh, their IP address. And of course, I'm number one. Number two and number four IP addresses, when we check them, are from the General Motors building. They are watching every word we say and write. They know that we're coming after their little party. And they're building their defenses right now based on what we've just said. We're coming after them. Dead peasants insurance, illegal tears, working with their stakeholders to assure our lives and your life change for the better. Now, the Ruther Caucus is well-funded and entrenched at every local union. This is not going to be an easy task to remove and replace them and do the things required for your life to get better. takes a lot of money to beat them. I'm not asking for anybody's money. Never have and never will. We're making the money to make this happen on our own. One of the things I did as intern at a wirehouse brokerage house, and I learned all the ins and outs of the stock market. 
Having said that, that's the state of our union. Those are some of the things that can be done that we've identified and talked about. And we aspire to make those things happen. We hope that each and every one of you that listened here tonight got an education on some of the things that could be done. There are a few resolutions on our page. They are carryovers that have been adjusted briefly just a little bit as to how to start to do this internally. The election process for ratification needs to be changed. Separate ratification for skilled trades and all other specialty groups and retirees is part of that. That the duly elected election committee conduct all ratification votes is a part of that. That you have better control over your own local union leadership by watch, you know, overwatch of their money that management pays them or gives them is a part of that. And something as simple as changing worker to member, having a voice in their destiny in the preamble is also part of that. So with that said, I um, hope you got a good education. Hope you realize that things can be done. We're not going to tell everybody exactly how they're going to be done, but uh, certainly tears are illegal and dead peasants insurance. We have the capability of changing that. It's just that our own leadership has allowed it to occur. And that's sad in and of itself. They have done things to allow it to occur taking money out of our hands and our mouths and our kids' families' mouths. Um, having said that, David, do you have anything to add to that? No, Leroy, I think you'll make a very fine UAW president. Um, I've actually seen you at work on the plant floor. Um, formidable force. Um, You've caused more damage with the pen, um, embarrassing people into doing the right thing than anybody I've ever saw before. Well, thank, thank you, you also David. Represented, you also represented me. Yeah, I respect time. what you did. But thank, thank you, David. You know, I've always aspired to be the best and give my ever last ounce of best in me. Jeff, do you have anything to add to either David or no, Mark? No, you, you hit it right on the nail. It's got to be done. Yeah, it's got to be done. I mean, you know, who, who knows who's going to do it? You know, mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot of money. And you guys know how I'm getting that money. Yes. You know. Uh, I'll just share something with everybody. You know, my experience from stockbroker firm, I I interned for a year with them, 
but I had about six six years total with uh, uh, the uh, option principal and management of the firm, manager of the firm, personal friend of mine at the time, of a Tom, Thompson McKinnon. And I learned a lot about the stock market. And I'll tell you this. I had my best trade between Friday at 11.45 last week and Monday at close of business. I'm smart enough to do this. It went from $15 to $2,000 in 10 and a half market hours. Not many people can say they can do that. I can't do it all the time, but I've done it quite a bit. i tell you this, on Friday, I made four trades and didn't miss any turn, not one turn, more than 50 points, and the market moved 1,700 points. We're building the money that it takes to beat them. We're building the money it takes to beat them. And they're mad at us. Why do you think people are texting me in the middle of the night, check your tires, because theirs just got cut. They know that we're coming. So, having said all of that, um, on any other subject, uh, Jeff, do you have any comment? No, no, I don't, Levi. Okay, all right. David, do you have any other comment? Um, just on Leroy, I'm looking at the switchboard. That's tall. And I'm looking at the dot com page. Um, that was an extreme amount of people who have listened to you tonight. Um, already, that dot com page has saw uh, thirty nine thousand hits within the last hour and a half. Congratulations. Well, thank you, thank you. You know, each and every listener. Tonight, any any night, we thank you for listening in. We really appreciate it a lot. We hope we bring value to you. If you found value in tonight's show, please tell another friend about it. Tell them to listen in. You know, we actually get into more detail on some of these as time goes by. But I'm done giving away secrets here because people have come after us. Okay? And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's politics, and we know. But, uh, you know, having your life threatened on Facebook a couple times and other stuff is uh, uh, really beneath the leadership abilities that you you require to represent you. And that's all I'll say about that. So, having said that, you uh, uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show this evening. Uh, our email address is working for a living at working for a living. If you comment to one of the any one of the posts, we get those and we you know make those public. Uh, thanks for everybody sending in the little things about using dues dollars. Uh, we really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, we're not going to put anybody in a bad situation over those, but it's nice to hear that people are actually being uh, that stupid, I guess. 
uh, and we'll see. Um, that said, uh, shout out to all of the people around the world listening, our friends in Mexico and Canada, all of our brothers and sisters here in the United States and a few in Canada. Good night, stay safe, and have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next Sunday. Good night, David and Jeff. Have a good night. Good night. Good night, good night everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.